Good morning. Welcome, family, RLC family, friends, uh, guests, those of you that are online. Thanks for connecting and joining us today. Happy Father's Day, dads. We appreciate you very much. And uh, uh, just want to let you know that we have some gifts on the way out. We covered them up on the way in so you guys wouldn't take them and bring them in here and play with them. Uh, but on the way out, you're welcome, dads, to get a gift. And if there are some of you that uh, you know that there's going to be a dad that may not get a gift today, uh, take whatever's out there. Make sure you get them to the people so that they know that they're cared about. But if dads, if you would just stand. I just want to tell you, there was a group of kids that were asked, what's the difference between Father's Day and Mother's Day? And it's kind of like here when I ask a question, nobody wants to make an answer because nobody wants to be wrong. And finally, one little boy had raised his hand and, and the teacher called on him and said, well, what's, what's the difference between Father's Day and Mother's Day? And he kind of quietly said, well, you know, they're kind of the same, except you don't have to spend as much on the gift for Father's Day. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, we want to pray for you guys. We appreciate you being dads. Thank you for your love for your kids. And, and I, as a dad myself, one of the things I always struggled with was, you know, I'm not as good as I want to be. And there's only been one perfect father, and that's our heavenly father. But we have a distinct privilege in carrying a title that people will be reminded of our heavenly father. And, and so... We continue to grow in being fathers. It's not just when our kids are little, your father's forever, whether it's to your kids or others, and we want to pray for you right now. So if you're near a dad, if you just reach out your hand and, and uh, extend your faith, your love, and your hands, Heavenly Father, thank you for these dads. Thank you for these men that, that you reveal yourself to and through. Lord, we thank you for their, their investment in their children in their families, in other people's children and families. Father, we thank you that your word says that as they sow, all the good that they have sown, all the sacrifice, all the care, all the consideration, that you would multiply that back to them today. And Father, bless them, not just today, but every day, in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Thank you, Dad. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, this morning, uh, it really wasn't a bait and switch. Uh, I got a call this week. Obviously, I'm not Rabbi Stuart Winograd. He was supposed to be here this week. Um, but he called me and said, I'm not going to be able to make it. And I said, what's wrong, Stuart? He said, we, we, we are really struggling and, and we're going to have to reschedule. So if you'll come back next week at this time, you'll see Rabbi Stuart up here. <laughs> And I am, I am so looking forward to that, and there's so much that we're going to hear as a congregation because not only are Rabbi Stewart and Chantel personal friends, but they are missionaries that we support. We've supported them for years. We've known them for years. Debbie was the first assistant to Stewart when he was the head of Crisis Pregnancy Center, and they have established uh, works in Israel, in India, in Belarus and in Ukraine, and we're going to be hearing a word from the Lord through Rabbi Stewart, but also about what, what your support. See, we walk in here, and we don't really think globally, and that's why we've started putting up those flags. We haven't finished. There are about 40 flags that are going to go in the foyer that represent 
countries that your giving touches because of our connection with them. So you're a global church. And Stuart and Chantal are just part of it. And they're going to be sharing with you about what's going on in the Ukraine. We gave a special offering to them. We're going to receive another special offering uh, to send with them. Because as much as, you know, it happens where something erupts in our world and all of a sudden all attention is focused on it. And then as time goes on, the focus kind of wanes. But we've been hearing that there is as much or more need now than there ever has been. And so we're going to send them with a, an, another special offering. If you want to be a part of that, uh, just place an offering in either the giving containers this week or next week. Do it online, uh, however, but indicate it's for the Ukraine, okay? Got it. Good. Well, you know, in, in, in honor of dads, and I don't do this often, but I have this thing that, you know, dad jokes, right? I don't do dad jokes. I get, I get jokes from my grandson, and my wife goes back and forth with him. But as I was preparing today, we're going to continue on in uh, learning about growing and being fruitful. And as I was, I was sitting going over this, I don't do real well with titles of messages. And uh, so they're not real creative. But as I, I thought about this, I thought about what this could be renamed. And this is in honor of the dads and dads jokes because it's all about vines and grapes and fruit. And so instead of growing fruitful, it can be grape expectations. <laughs> so that's as much as I'll torture you today. But today we're going to get into the word and we're going to find out about how God has for us to be fruitful, how he has for us to grow and, and impact the people around us. Because just like a, a vine growing, I, as I was growing up as a kid, there was a neighbor who had a grapevine. He had this arbor. It was beautiful. And he worked really hard. And all the neighborhood kids, we would go in, Lord, forgive me, and we would steal his grapes. And he was always frustrated about, where, where are my grapes? Where are my grapes? But he had great grapes. He just didn't know it. And it was because he took so much time. And today we're going to learn about what it takes to bear fruit, to uh, allow God to produce this fruit in our lives. But before we do, let's pray. If you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your plan and provision. Lord, you desire uh, fruit. You said we would know others by their fruit. Your fruit the fruit that we have brings glory to you, Heavenly Father, and we want to be fruitful. Just as you mandated from the very beginning in creation, you told the birds of the, field, uh, birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the seas to be fruitful. You told man and woman to be fruitful. And so, Father, we want fruit in our lives to your glory and honor. And we thank you. We thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts, our minds, our situations and circumstances because you care and you're there to bring us through and into the fullness of what you prepared, which is abundant life. So we thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? And, and as we began this series, which was a, quite a while ago, uh, we began looking at Jesus' words in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We looked at verse 8 and verse 16 because it gives us an indication of how important fruit is. 
And Jesus, as he was speaking to his disciples, said this, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. So we see Jesus showing us the importance of fruit bearing. And then in verse 16, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I orchestrated all of this so that you would be sent out and bear great and perpetual fruit. As you do this, Anything you ask the Father in my name will be done. So we see how important, how, how uh, valuable this is, what, how it affects God the Father, how it influences our lives and other people's lives. And it's not just Jesus saying this. Throughout the Bible, we see uh, scriptures uh, that reveal the importance of fruit bearing. And the Apostle Paul, writing to two different groups of Christians, uh, indicates that this is, this is a priority in his prayers. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. He prays that you would walk worthy, walk and live and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, desiring to please him in all things. And I'm going to stop there for a second because you know that the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, everything, everything that was created was created for God's pleasure. But what's happened is we have kind of skewed things because most people are not living for God's pleasure, are they? Who are they living for? Themselves, to please themselves. And, and that's natural. If they don't know God, they're not going to live to please God. It just is not going to happen. But it shouldn't happen to us as Christians. We should be living our lives to please God. And yet even in the church... There are a lot of Christians, I would dare say all of us at various times in our lives, that live our lives not to please God, to, but to please ourselves. And the moment we do that, we're getting off track. And the moment we get off track, it's moving away from God, away from his blessing, away from his plan, away from his provision, away from his power. As a matter of fact, one of the definitions of sin, the word sin, is to get off track to be moved off track from God's will and God's way. And what does anybody know the Bible tells us the wages or the result of sin is? Death. And so the moment we start to live for someone other than God, we're moving towards experiencing some degree of death in our life because that's the enemy's territory. And the Bible tells us that our enemy is there to steal, kill, and destroy. In one way or another, something's going to be lost when we live our life to please anyone but God. And it almost sounds counterintuitive that if I'm living to please God, how am I going to be pleased? But the reality is, when we're pleasing to God, we're living what we were created for. There is a fulfillment. There is a life that begins to flow in us because we're just in line with God. And his design for your life and for everyone's life is abundance, overflow. And so that's why it's important that we live to please him. It goes on to say, bearing fruit. This is how we're pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing. Now, fruit we've talked about a little bit, not in great detail, but the fruit that the Bible is talking about, there, there is outward fruit and inward fruit. The inward fruit is the character of Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Those, those things that become innately part of us, who we are, 
but it actually benefits the people around us. When we're kind, it's not just us that benefits. It's all the people around us. When we're patient, it benefits us, but it benefits all the people around us. And then there, the, the inward fruits become outward fruits that way, but there are also fruits of our lips. The Bible says the fruit of our lip, giving praise to God. There's fruit in our works. The Bible says we're created in Christ unto all good works. We are his workmanship. And those works, people will see, and the scripture says, will glorify our Father in heaven. So these actions that we take that are in line with God who is love and, and the, the characteristic of Christ, putting others first, caring for them, these are, these are fruit that give, bring glory to the Father. There's also fruit that in the spiritual sense, speaking about people being saved. You know, that's eternal fruit. That's the only thing that you can bring to heaven. You're not going to bring your clothes. You're going to have a glorified body. You're going to have the glory of God covering you. You don't need to bring your house or your boat or your car. You don't need to bring your bank account. The only thing that you can bring to heaven with you is people. And when we're involved in helping people come to Christ, none of us save anybody. God saves everyone. But we have the privilege and part of being a part of the process where we sow, we sow good works, we sow love, we sow fruit into other people's lives. Uh, we water that fruit, but God alone gives the increase. And so when we are involved in seeing people saved, and that's really what we're, we're still here for. When we get saved ourselves, if it wasn't for that, we'd go straight to the throne room of heaven. But God has a plan. Jesus said that you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But he told the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high so that this is what your life will be, bearing this fruit, this spiritual fruit of people being born again. And, and this, is, this is what we're here for, bearing fruit, bearing fruit, leading people in salvation, bearing fruit in good works, bearing fruit. And we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But once that grace embraces us, we become this new creation in Christ. And as a new creation in Christ, our lives begin to adjust, to become what we never were before, but God always knew we could be and should be. And so today we're going to look at, at another scripture where the Apostle Paul is praying for another group of people. In, in the uh, city of Eph or Philippians, uh, Philippi, and in Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, he writes that he's praying that may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. You know, it should be that when we receive Christ as our Lord, there should be a change that's beginning to go on in our, our lives. The Bible says when we receive Christ as Lord, we become this new creation in Christ. Bless you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But it's not... It's not this instantaneous work. We become new, but we grow into that newness. It's like a child being birthed. That child comes out with everything it needs, but now it's got to develop it. There's a great developing that happens in our life over the course of time we spend in this part of life. And we should always be growing. And as we're growing, we should always be bearing new fruit and, and, and greater fruit than ever before because God has for us to do to max out. God's a max out God. He, he sent his son to give us life and life more abundantly, overflowing. God wants your life overflowing. 
so that all the people around you would be impacted by the effect of God and influence of God in you. But you'd always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. And this will bring much glory and praise to God. So again, the Apostle Paul affirming the fact that fruit is, is necessary, it's important, it's expected, and it's something that should happen in all of our lives. But it doesn't always happen that way. And today we're going to look at uh, John chapter 15. We're going to read through the first 11 verses. Then we're going to go back and we're going to take apart some of these things to see. Because we've already looked at Mark chapter 4 where the Bible tells us that there, there were different types of ground and they all produced different amounts. Some didn't produce any fruit. There were three types of that. And then there was a fourth type of ground that was good soil and it produced some 30 times what was sown in it, some 60 times and some 100 times. And I think all of us, we want maximum production. Don't we want the maximum return for whatever we do? Well, that's what God wants for you. But there are things that we can do that will enhance our ability to have fruit produced in our lives, as there are things that we can do that can hinder it. So today we're going to look at this. And in John chapter 15, verse 1, uh, we're just going to read, read through the first 11 verses and uh, begin to see this. Jesus said, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So. Again, we're seeing a lot of things that it's saying about different types of fruit bearing. And uh, we're just going to jump back and look at verse uh, 2 and verse 5 and kind of dissect it. Because right here we see that there are three conditions, kind of a progressive work. Uh, Jesus said, every branch that does not bear fruit. So there's a situation in Christians' lives that we're not bearing fruit, but God's glorified by the fruit. It proves we're true disciples of Jesus. So if I'm not bearing fruit, there's an opportunity, a possibility people are going to think I'm not a Christian. Is that not true? Right. And, and if I'm not bearing fruit, I'm not bringing the glory to God that, that as a Christian I really want to bring. And so there's something out of sync, something wrong, something needs to be adjusted. But this says right here, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I have to tell you something. I've read this for years and years and years. It's always bothered me. Because I don't see the character and nature of my heavenly father in that statement. That if I'm not doing things right, he's cutting me off. Where else in the Bible does it tell us that when you and I don't live up to what God wants us to, he's cutting us off. He's done with us. There's no place. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God loved us. 
Christ died for us when we were enemies of the cross. He never gives up on anybody, okay? So right here in reading this, I was reminded of what Paul said. The Apostle Paul, when he was teaching uh, and a group of people in the temple, and it's, it, it called them out. It said the Bereans. Bereans were more noble than anybody else that was listening. And it was because the Bereans, when they listened to Paul teach, after they were done listening to Paul teach, they would go home and they would go through the scriptures that he used, the things that he said, to make sure what he was saying was accurate. How many of you think that's a good idea? I'm going to tell you right now, it's a very important principle that we need not only in church, we need it in life. Because in America today, we have become lax. We've become dependent on the so-called experts. And this has happened over a period of time that we've been, we've been trained to just listen to somebody who seems to have a platform above ours or somebody who seems to have more knowledge than we do. But I want you to understand that there are times that experts are giving us information that is biased. Is that a newsflash? Some of you are like, really? No, we know that happens. But you know, it doesn't just happen out there. For, for a time in, in news, when news was reported, they reported facts. Now news is reported with a perspective. It may be aligned with your perspective and you're cheering it on. It may not be aligned with your perspective and you're like, where'd they get that? When there were political speeches, many times after the, the speakers, the politicians would speak, there would be somebody that would come on and tell us what they just said. That has hindered us being critical thinkers. Not where we're criticizing, but we're just dissecting, taking things apart like the Bereans did. It happens in churches. Where what's being said, people just, okay, well, you know, that's what they said. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Not. It's a really good thing, but it's not in the Bible. And other things that people think are in the Bible, because somebody said it, and they just take it, and they don't know what truth is. Folks, if we don't know truth, we're not going to be free. We need to know what the truth is. And we need to track with God. And I've gotten off track, but I'll get back on track. So um, it's, it's, it, it's, it's important. It's important that we do what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, we're to study to show ourselves approved. Not just read the Bible. Not just listen to somebody tell us what the Bible says. Study. And I don't know about you. I was not a great student. I did the best I could with what I had at the time. But I knew when time came down, the test was coming, man, it was time to dig in. I had to dig into the books. I had to read it for myself. I had to retain it. I had to have it accessible to be able to bring it back out when the question or the test was on. And it's the same thing with the Bible. You're going to have tests. This can't be something you just get on Sunday and you leave it at the door through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I'm sure none of you do that. But... It's, it's important that when we're studying the Bible, this is not just for people like me or people that are professional holy people, <laughs> all right? 
I'm, I'm a regular guy, and I've got to study, but I do it for me, and I do it for you. And when we study, and when I looked at this, and this didn't make sense to me, I went in and started to read people who are much more scholarly than me. And when you look at this and you find that it says, a branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. That's a very poor translation of that. The word that they have translated takes away has three preceding definitions. How many of you know when you read definitions in a a dictionary, the first one is the most used and it goes down to the least used, correct? Well, this takes away is the third definition. It's hardly ever used in the New Testament. But the first three are what is used more often in the New Testament for the word that this is, and it actually means to lift up, to raise up, to pull up. It, it doesn't matter what the word is because I can't pronounce it, so I'd mangle it and you wouldn't know it. And Go into your Bible, go into a concordance and, and see what that word is. But to lift up and think about this. This says that if there's a vine, if there's somebody in Christ, attached in Christ, not bearing fruit, he's not going to chop it off, he's going to lift it up. Doesn't that sound more like our God, our Heavenly Father? And I want you to know how it relates to the, the vine, the grapevine. John, if you would show the, uh, the first, first picture. Luscious grapes, huh? But this is how they start out. They plant a vine, one rooted vine into the ground, and then they have to have it start to be trained around some sort of stick. Because one of the things that's characteristic about grapevines is that they tend to grow back to the ground. And when a grapevine grows along the ground, it will never bear fruit. It will never be healthy. Because when it's on the ground, it's subject to the rain that comes down that causes it to get mildewed. The dust and the dirt begin to impact and coat the leaves. It can't process the sun the way it needs to. It becomes weak. It's nonproductive. And it eventually dies because of it being where it wants to be. Now, again, there's a lot of application to our lives. A lot of times we want to be where we want to be, but it's killing us. It's robbing from us. So what happens is a vine dresser has to go through the vineyard. Not just once a week. Grapevines are some of the most labor-intensive things to grow because you have to constantly be going up and down the aisles. Now, when they get a little bigger, if you'd go to that next one, they start training them on trellises, okay? That the, the, the branches will begin to wrap around these trellises to stay out of the dirt. But what happens is there's always growth happening. Always new growth. And as it grows out, it doesn't always naturally just go and wrap itself around these things. It starts back to the ground. And as the vine dresser walks through the vineyard, he sees something headed towards the ground, and he picks it up, and he wraps it around. He actually lifts up that vine. Just like what it says when we're not bearing fruit, the vine dresser, our Heavenly Father, lifts us up from where we are. And and the dirt of the earth is a lot like sin. 
And the gravity that pulls on that vine to head back to the dirt of the earth, that's, that's, that's like the pull of sin on us. And we're in this world, that sin is pulling on us all the time. I don't know about you, but I know that I'm aware of that because I've had things in my life that have almost destroyed it. Destroyed my marriage, destroyed my health. And I've, I've, I've been transparent with you guys. Some of you are, are visiting with us, your guests, and this may be the first. I don't mean to shock you, but uh, I'm a regular guy. And in my life, I had some real problems, real challenges. I was, I was addicted to alcohol. I was an alcoholic high-functioning alcoholic. It almost destroyed my marriage, almost destroyed my health, almost destroyed my, my ability to work. I was also addicted to pornography, almost destroyed my marriage. And those things are not controlling my life. But I will tell you something. Everywhere we go in this world, these kind of things have access to us. I'm noticing the more I, I see on TV, the more that that pull of the pornography is pulling on me. And I have to be very selective in what I watch. And, and even the way people live, the pull of an addiction is real. But that's where I have to have the help of my Heavenly Father to help keep lifting me up. Help me not get pulled back into that. In, in our weakness, the Bible says, his strength is made full. It's not about me saying, I'm going to try harder because it's not in my trying, it's in my trusting. And it's in your trusting too because he's much more powerful. He's much wiser. He's much more available in everything you struggle with. He's right there to help you if you and I will turn to him. And so that's where... You know, the, the, vine, the vine dresser goes through and lifts this, this, this branch up. Where does fruit come usually in trees and in vines? Anybody know? Obviously, yeah, uh, the branches, but somebody said the ends. The new growth. And as a Christian, we should always be growing. We'll never arrive in this life. We should be growing all the time in all sorts of ways, and that's where the fruit is. As long as we're always growing. Do you know the old, oldest grapevine that they're aware of in the, uh, the world today is, I believe it's 240 years old. Now, it's been contested by another place that says they have an older one, but that happens all the time. And this, this vine that's 240 years old, uh, it's got a circumference of a trunk that's 12 feet 5 inches. Huge. But this thing has been cared for for 240 years. That's generation after generation after generation that's kept this thing producing, and it produces annually between 500 and 700 bunches of grapes. It's amazing, but that's what the Bible says. Even in our old age, we'll still produce fruit. But it's as long as we've let the vine dresser tend to us, and we've stayed attached to the vine, because we are the branches. Heavenly Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. We've got to stay connected to the branches, and God's not going to chop us off because we don't produce. If you go back to verse 2 and 5, John, I'd appreciate it. He will lift us up. And that's where we see the, the four productions that are the three productions that we, we looked at in Mark chapter 4, where it says in the good ground, they sowed the seed of God's word and it produced 30, 60, and 100. 
And so right here, we see every branch that, that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. And then it says, in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So we've got this first section where there's a branch, a Christian that's not bearing fruit, and it gets to bearing fruit. That's where he lifts up the believer. He lifts us up. He helps elevate us out of the things that are destroying us. And then it says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it'll bear more, more fruit. So we've got no fruit to fruit, fruit to more fruit. That's the 60. But how do we get to that place where we're bearing more fruit? We get pruned. There's a pruning, and it's not what happens when you sit in the tub too long. It's a real snipping. There's, there's a removal of some things. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, I don't like things being removed. I just want more. Well, some of the things in our life, just like in my life, were destroying my life. It needed to be removed. Other things in my life that were detrimental and damaging, I had a real problem with anger. I was explosively angry. And I was violently angry, not towards people, but I would punch walls. I would, I would do things of that nature. And I remember, I remember finding out that uh, God wasn't, that wasn't the type of fruit God wanted. And you know what? I knew it before I ever read it in the Bible. But I also bargained with God. And I don't know if you ever do this. Sometimes I reminded God of the scripture like he didn't know. And, and I would tell him, you know, this is just the way I am. This is the way you made me. And then I found out that I wasn't supposed to be that way, but I found a scripture. You know, you can take scripture out of context. We do it all the time. To meet our perspective, to support our theories. And uh, uh, I read that the Bible says, be angry. I said, I'm doing it. But, but the whole scripture was, be angry and sin not. And I wasn't doing the second part, but I got the first part down. And uh, I realized that, you know, anger is something, it's an emotion, right? It's a reaction, an emotional reaction. And God's given us emotions. But he's never given us emotions to control us. Every emotion we have is to cause us to be able to live life the way he intended. What would life be if there wasn't some anger? Okay? It, I'm not saying you have to have an abundance of it, but there are things we should be angry about and not sin. You know, God, God is angry about, God hates sin. But he doesn't hate people. And the reason why he hates sin and he's angry that sin is in the world is because what it does to people that he loves. And so he can, he can separate, and if he can, we can, separate the difference between an emotion and a person. You know, we constantly are relating something someone does to that person. And usually it's problematic. If, if somebody is rubbing us the wrong way, we look at them through that issue of what they're doing, and we see them. And we have this tendency to, if I don't want to be around that issue, I've got to get rid of them. So I push the issue in them away. But everything we face that is a conflict should be faced shoulder to shoulder, not face to face. 
And when I say that, this is what I mean. When I say shoulder to face to face is when I'm looking at the issue through the person, but that person isn't the issue. The issue is the issue. And the moment you get the issue out from between the two of you, and you both turn to see the issue for what it is, you become allies to be able to unite, to be able to deal with the issue, get rid of the issue without getting rid of the person. That was worth coming this morning. Thank you, Lord. But he prunes. He takes things away. There are things that need to be removed from your life. Every one of us sitting here, every one of you at home, there are things that need to be removed for you and me, for us each to experience more of the abundant life God has. And then it says in verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now, right there, we've got no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. That's the hundredfold. Much fruit, where, where it says much fruit, that phrase that in the original translation means maximum. Maximum production. It's, it's the ultimate. It's abundant. And, and that's where it's important that we realize that this is all progressive. God lifts us up at first to begin to help us bear fruit. We get out of the stuff that's destroying our lives. He lifts us. Then he starts to prune, cut off some things. And listen, when God, when God lifts us up, he's not going to make us do anything. He's going to give us the, what we need to be able to get out of where we were. And when he prunes us, he's not cutting off something that you don't want cut off. He'll let you keep what you want because he'll never force his will on you. And then right here it says to get to that much, to, to, from more fruit to much fruit, the hundredfold, that takes abiding. The first two are things that God initiates. The last one, abiding, is us initiated. We work in, in, in a team. In the first one, God's in the lead. In the last one, we choose and God assists us in this. Again, all of this is at our willingness to allow God to have his way and us willing to do what God wants. And, and when it says abide, this is an amazing thing in this portion of Scripture. In seven verses, verse 4 through verse 10, the word abide occurs 10 times. It's a very important concept, very important way for us to live. And so we're going to go through and we're going to begin to look at these and break them down. And what, what does it mean when God lifts us up? What does it mean that, that we, we would experience this lifting of God? It sounds, you know, phenomenal, doesn't it? You know, getting super spiritual. Um, but, but this lifting is something that God does specifically, and we can read about it in the Scriptures and begin to understand it, because when you understand what God is doing, you can assist and, and be involved in a much more productive way. The same thing with pruning. You know, I, I don't get haircuts anymore the way I used to get haircuts. But at one time... I would go to the barber shop and I would sit in the chair and, and they would cut my hair. And it was, it was an experience. 
True story, every time I got my hair cut, they would thin it out. I need to go back and find out who did this to me. <laughs> but, but I remember the first time the kids, Debbie didn't want me to do the kids' hair, and so we took them to the barber's, and I remember the kids sitting there, a new experience for them, and they're sitting there, and they're ooching around, and, you know, they're getting gouges in their head. And after that, I did their hair, because my, my work was as good as anybody else's with them moving around. But that's where when we get pruned, we can't be moving all around. We've got to be willing to be still. And do you know what the Bible says about stillness in God? It says, be still and know that I am God. It's one of the hardest things for us in our society today is stillness. We've got to have stuff going on. If we're still for too long, we get, we get anxious, we get fidgety. And the only way you and I are going to come to really know God, recognize his voice, his leading, his impressions, is number one, through his word, and number two, through spending time with him, being quiet with him. How do you recognize anybody's voice? Exactly. You listen. You don't listen in the most rambunctious environment. You listen in times where you could hear their voice. You can hear their inflections. You can hear their tone. You, and then in the very chaos of what's going on in life, you recognize them. You know, a mom can pick out a child's voice in a crowd. And many times a child can pick out a parent's voice in a crowd. We need to be able to pick out our Heavenly Father's voice in the crowded days we live in in this world because it's His voice that's going to lead us into the fullness of what He's prepared and planned. This is not, not rocket science. It's not something that is beyond our ability to comprehend but it's something that we need to intentionally study to be able to emulate and, and walk out because in the days we live in, we're coming closer and closer to the return of the Lord. The Bible says in these times, there is the greatest harvest that is ripe, ready. People are desperate. Have you noticed that? They're looking for answers. They're looking for something that will give them some sort of security, some sort of peace, some sort of hope. And I want you to know the God that you serve, the God that is Lord of your life, he's the God of all hope. And the Bible says that he is the God of all hope will fill you. Again, there's that, that way God does things. He fills it. Fill you full of joy and peace in believing that you would abound, that's the overflow, to even more hope. The God of all hope will fill you full of joy and peace. We need peace. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. We need that to get through the times we're, we're living in. And that Holy Spirit would bring an abundance of that hope. Hope is a confident expectation of good. And in this world, when people see somebody that's confident, confident with hope, confident of good, confident of joy, confident with peace, man, it's so attractive. People are drawn to them. And that's what God wants you to do. 
When it talks about us being witnesses, it's not about us banging on a door and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Or hey, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. Nobody wants that. But what everybody wants is somebody that will care, somebody that will give them hope, somebody that will come alongside them and help them to experience joy and peace and security and stability in a world that does not have that. And that's what God has for you. But it's, it's happening as we grow. As we grow in this fruit that God has for us that brings glory to our Heavenly Father, that proves that we're followers, true followers of Jesus Christ. I just want to go through some of these pictures so you just see, because I, I, I experienced a lot of, not just as a kid stealing the neighbor's grapes, I've repented of that. But uh, when I grew up and worked in California, I worked for a company that was involved in the oil industry, and we would go out on wells and do services that would indicate where the hydrocarbons were. But I was also invited uh, to be involved in a new project back 40 years ago. And it was uh, a project that was looking for alternative sources of energy for America. And I was invited to be involved in a geothermal project, which meant that from the base that I worked in, in, in central California, we would go to northern California, to the place called the Geysers, and we would work on these live steam wells. They would drill wells down to the superheated zones, and uh, the water that would percolate down through the, the soil and the different layers would get to that zone, and because of the intense heat, it would flash to steam, and steam would come out of these wells. 550-degree live steam. It sounded like a jet, the loudest jet you've ever been around. And these plumes of steam. And we would go up there and we would do, uh, take instruments and lower them down into these wells to determine where the steam was at and how much was being produced and all that kind of stuff. But to get there, driving from central California to northern California, we went through a little area called Napa Valley. Now, if you don't know what Napa Valley is, Napa Valley is one of the premier uh, areas of vineyards in America. And the, every time we would go up to work on the geysers, it was really dangerous stuff. We looked like guys from, from the moon because we had to put on these uh, suits that were silver. We had to have backpacks that had air uh, regulators in them. And it was always hot. And you would lose, you know, 10 pounds in, in an outing uh, because of, of the heat and you're, you're perspiring. But with all that difficulty, we had no lack of volunteers. Everybody wanted to go. And the reason why was not because of the work, because when they would go through Napa Valley, they would take these big trucks and they would stop and they would get cases of wine and bring cases of wine back to their families. So everybody wanted to go. But when we drove through there, we would see these vineyards that were just amazingly impressive. And I've shown you the first couple of pictures where uh, you saw the, the vines starting and then beginning to run along the trellis. John, if you would put up number three. Um, this, is, this is where the branches, they have to train them to go around. Uh, the one with the, the row that you're looking down. Do you have that one? Yes, that's it. 
This is what it looked like. It was amazing. It was so lush and beautiful. And you see that netting along there. That was put along there so that the birds couldn't go in and take the grapes. I don't know about the little neighbor kids, but the birds didn't get the grapes. <laughs> and uh, then, then what ends up happening, it produces number five. You see these amazing bunches of grapes that it's so hard not to go over there and just grab some. But what eventually happens is the, the, you can see in each one of these pictures, the vine itself is getting thicker. It's getting more substantial. And finally, you see as a vine gets older, it gets really big. But the grapes that a well-cared-for vine produces is unlike anything previous. A vine, when it's planted, takes three years for it to get it going. Then it's going to be another five years before they, they are able to bring it to what they call a harvest. But it's not really the harvest. It's when they start to prune it so that it'll have 30 years of pr production, usually 30 years. And after that, they call it an old vine, and it makes different types of wine. But it takes a lot of work. And what God wants to do in our life takes a lot of work. But how many of you know God's willing to put in the work? And if God is willing to put in the work in our life, we should be willing to put in the work in our life. Amen? I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads right now. We've been talking about what God wants to do and how God wants to bring fruit out in, in our lives. And that's an absolute truth. But he will never violate our choice. And what it has to begin with is our choice to recognize that he sent his only begotten son. That, that scripture that, that Dave shared in the beginning of the service, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he has. He's given his son for you. And maybe you know that, maybe you don't. But it takes more than just knowledge. It takes an action, a decision. And it's knowing who Jesus is, and it's knowing what he did. But then it is recognizing our need to receive what Christ did for us. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. We need to give up control of our life, doing what we think is best and turning control over to Christ who always does what is best. And then continuing to grow in his grace and in his knowledge. And this morning, if you're here and you have never turned to Christ and trusted in him, if you're at home, and, and we're glad you tuned in, but if you have never given your life to God, to govern and to guide and to guard, then today is the day. It's an opportunity for us to trust in Christ. And I want to lead you in a prayer today, and I'm going to invite everybody to pray. But it's important that you do this in your invitation to Christ, acknowledging your sin and inviting Christ to be Lord of your life. So let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who came into this earth, 
lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for my sin, and was raised from the dead and seated in victory at the right hand of the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here today or you prayed at home, let somebody know. If you're here, let somebody know. And you may say, oh, I came by myself. All right, but you're not leaving by yourself. Well, we're grateful that you're here. We want to celebrate the new life you just received. If you're at home and you prayed, uh, let us know. Go to reslifeny.org, our website. Scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. Would you stand? You know, historically on, on Mother's Day, it's, it's the time where there are more reservations to go out to eat that are made than any other day of the year. Do you know on Father's Day, there are not so many reservations. As a matter of fact, some restaurants aren't even open on Father's Day. Do you know why? Because what usually happens on Father's Day is what, Mark? <laughs> Usually they have barbecues on Father's Day. I was telling this to the first uh, service here and saying that, you know, and that's where dad, dads end up grilling. They're, they're cooking their own meal. There's a little bit of discrepancy between Mother's Day and Father's Day. And Mark walked in and I was asking his family, what are you guys doing for Father's Day? We're having a barbecue. <laughs> and I looked at Mark and Mark said, yeah, I grill. <laughs> but uh, dads, enjoy your day. We appreciate you very much. Make sure you pick up a gift on the way out. Again, if you know a dad or if your dad, maybe you got him uh, something, but you see something that he might like, take something for him. We want to make sure that people get what we have out there, okay? Um, Boilermaker, you guys are here just in time for the meeting that's afterwards. And it's only for those that have already signed up that you've, you've gotten in, you've gotten all your registration stuff in. If you haven't, then you'll have to wait until next year to get involved in this. But you've got to pick up all your, your credentials, your shirt, uh, directions, all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be in quest after, after this service. I don't know exactly when because we're ending early. Gosh, maybe that's in, in, in honor of dads. Yeah, once a year this happens. <laughs> uh, also, VBS, uh, the sign-ups for bringing in food. And um, remember on the 10th where we're doing the Boilermaker Outreach, uh, that Sunday we'll only have one service, only this service, the 1030 service. All those guys that come to the early one are going to have to join you. So I just want to pray for you before you go. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for each and every one of your children here. Father, thank you for your love for them, the, your children that are online that are, that are just wanting your will. We want your will in our lives. There's nothing better. So, Father, help us to love what you love. Live the way you have for us to live. 
Help us to become completely and utterly expectant of you, knowing that you are a good, good Father and every good and perfect gift comes from you and that you're at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. And that, Father, as we trust you with our past, we rely on you in our present, and we look to you for our future, that you will work it all out for good. And we thank you, Father, that we can enter into the rest of faith for this. We bless you and praise you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great week.